0: Let's pray. Father, as we settle our hearts before you this morning, we pray that you would uh, find hearts that are yielded to the working of your Holy Spirit. And as we look at John chapter 9 this morning, we pray that you would come and that you would instruct us, that you would speak to us, that you would open your word to us, Father. We thank you, Lord, for your word, and we thank you for this morning and pray your will be done in each of us and in us as a church, in Jesus' name, amen. And looking at the the man who was born blind, quite a story. John chapter 8 ended, remember, with uh, the religious leaders picking up rocks to throw at him because he had told them they were their father, the devil, and which is a pretty bold statement, but they were, and and he pointed out their arrogance and their hypocrisy and didn't make any bones about it, and he slipped right out of their midst, and on his way out of the temple, he runs across this guy who was blind from birth. And uh, we talked last week about what motivated Jesus to stop, hearing the father's voice, knowing that he was he, he said, I do nothing except for that which the Father shows me. And so the Father had shown him and, it had, and in that moment said, this is somebody that I want you to stop and to essentially minister to and bring healing to. And so he stops and we know that Jesus is full of compassion and So uh, his compassion just goes out of him to this guy, and and his disciples ask him, well, is this guy, was he born blind because of his own sin, like in the womb or something, or because of his parent's sin? And Jesus said it's not about cause and effect, remember we looked at that, but about God's purposes being worked out in this guy's life, that God would be glorified by this guy's blindness. Uh, And it wasn't that God was calloused or Um, against this guy for some reason. It was because this moment God had waited and he had ordained this from eternity past. He had ordained this moment for this guy to come across Jesus and for Jesus to give him some odd instructions to obtain this healing and uh, makes. Remember, he made mud out of spit and he wiped it on the guy's eyes and sent him off to the pool of Siloam, which means sent, and, and this guy indeed receives his sight. We can look at this in a sort of a loosely doctrinal way and, and kind of be removed from it. But I want to encourage you. I want you to think about this story from the standpoint of the guy that was healed, he had never seen anything before. He didn't know what light was. And Jesus says, I'm the light of the world in the middle of all this. And he saw, this guy hears it and he's like, is there a point of reference with him? What, what do you mean, the light of the world? And, and yet, as he's at this pool, I mean, I, I absolutely believe that we can read this as kind of flat words on the page or we can grasp the gravity of what's going on with this guy. I mean, this is some tremendous, this is the greatest moment in this man's life. To date, bar none. Never had sight. And as he's washing his eyes at that pool, perhaps he began to see light and maybe it was out of focus and, and then all of a sudden these things that he had only felt before. He, he didn't know what water looked like. And yet, as he's running his fingers through the water and washing his eyes and he begins to see, he's seeing water for the first time. Looking around, I mean, sparrows are all over Israel. And, so it, and, and there at the pool, it's not an abstract thought to think that there would be birds there. And then he had only heard sparrows. He'd only heard birds before. And then looking and seeing, for the first time, birds. And knowing that he had, he made this third of a mile walk from the temple area down to the Pool of Siloam, this downhill track that he had to go through, being blind still, walking obediently by faith that Jesus had told him, to go do it. So I guess I'll go do it. And on the way down there, he had felt his way down. And that, that the, the, the features along the way, the, the buildings, the, the, the stone surfaces, those would be familiar to him because when you're blind, all of your other senses are heightened, And so you hear things very clearly, you feel things. Have you ever walked through a room in the dark? After we moved into our house here in Newburgh, when we turn off the living room lights, that house is dark. And it took a couple of times jamming my feet into our little uh, sort of a china thing off to the side of the dining room, that I would actually go in and turn on a light and then walk back and turn off the television so that I wouldn't have to be walking in the dark. And I only did that a couple of times. Now I know to avoid it because, and with this guy, everything about his life was shifting and there would have been unspeakable joy. I mean, you want to talk about joy, Think about if you had never, ever seen. And this is an absolute miracle in this man's life. So, and he's going to go through five different interrogations, five different questionings. Not, not that, well, three were interrogations, but five different sets of questions that people have for him as he's going along. And, and it's like, by the end of it, he's like, all right, that's enough I don't know. The the, the most remarkable verse in here is when he says, I don't know what you're talking about. All I know is I was blind and now I see. Period. That's it. You know, I've kind of had it with you guys because the religious leaders were just up in this guy's face and trying to manipulate him. It's just a, a, it's an amazing story. So we looked at all of that last week, not that, but we looked at the first seven verses last week, and and right up to where Jesus tells him to go, and to wash, and he goes, and he receives his sight, and then he comes back, and Jesus isn't there. Um, Remember, we looked at the outline of the chapter, the first seven verses, the physical healing of this man, and then after that, in verses 8 through 12, he's questioned by his neighbors, and then... 13 to 17 he's interrogated by the Pharisees the religious leaders and that's not enough for them so they call for this guy's parents and in verses 18 to 22 they interrogate the parents well the parents are afraid because it was they'd already known that if you spoke against Judaism uh, or you spoke for Christ that was against Judaism they'd cast you out and we'll look at that uh, and then so they interrogate this guy again they call back this guy and they ask him again and then We see that after they literally excommunicate this guy from Israel, not a small thing, that Jesus comes and he finds this guy and he spiritually brings spiritual healing to this guy. So we've looked in the Gospel of John over and over again that Jesus does these things in the spiritual or in the physical to bring light to the spiritual, and it's not not being lost on us here. He's literally forcing the issue in this particular account because he does the work in the physical. And then at the end of it, after this guy goes through all this stuff, he does the work in the physical. And so there's no way they could not link the two. Remember in the, in the previous miracles, they were having trouble connecting the dots. Well, he makes it very, very clear here that there's, they don't have to work too hard to do that. Um, interesting. Interesting. If you really wanted to just look at at this chapter, you could take the first seven verses and call it good. Jesus healed the blind man and gave him sight. But on purpose, Jesus does this. We talked about it and won't go into it too much. He, He does it on the Sabbath because he wants to stir up controversy. And he does it on purpose. He divides these guys on purpose because by the end of this, they will fall into two groups. One is the men who were committing blasphemy, reviling this guy, reviling Jesus. And two, is we see this guy end up in worship. So you have on one side or the other, and it's still what Jesus does today. He causes people to divide, but not just because he wants to stir up trouble, but because he forces people to make up their mind about Jesus. And he does that still. So Better get into the text or we're not going to get anywhere. Uh, I just think it's 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 amazing though, uh, because as he goes through, pay attention to the Pharisees' posture through this. You'll see that their blindness is growing. And it is. Their blindness grows. And they get more and more stuck in their stuff and more and more entrenched in their own traditions. Uh, and then you'll also see that little by little that this guy comes to... A stronger faith, a bolder witness, and he has greater sight. So his sight is growing through this whole account, through this chapter, and the religious leaders' blindness is growing uh, to where it culminates with the religious leaders again committing blasphemy, and with the the man here uh, falling on his knees before Jesus and worshiping him as Lord. Great stuff. So verse 7, it says that he said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and he came back seeing. Again, you got to see this. This guy, I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, he'd never seen stones. He'd never seen the temple before. So he's coming back up over the hill from the pool of Siloam and he sees the temple mount spread out. I mean, I've been on this, in this location and, and it is a, a sight to behold, and and, I mean, he had been right outside of the temple, I mean, Jesus was leaving the temple when he came across this guy, which by the way, would be a great place to beg if you're a beggar, and it says here that he was, because I mean, it'd be kind of hard to go into the temple to worship God, and kind of ignore this guy that's asking you, this blind man that needs some sustenance, and so you want God to bless you, well, you know, uh, hey, uh, you know, put some money in my cup, or however they did it, so he's coming back up, and he sees this stuff for the first time, And he's seeing. Uh, And then we go into verse verse 8, where he now is going to be questioned by his neighbors. Uh, And again, it's not an interrogation so much. I mean, it gets more serious as they go along. But they question this guy. They have several questions to ask him about who and how and where and all that. Uh, And then they turn him over to the religious leaders. It says in verse 8, Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is this not he who sat and begged? And some said, "This is he." Others said, "Well, he's like him." And he said, "I am he." Um, the narrative doesn't tell us this guy's name, but you know, like if his name was, was like Baruch or Chaim or some good Jewish boy's name, uh, the tense here is that he kept on saying, "I am he." They're they're, say, they're having an argument. Right, like good Jewish guys do. Hey, no, no, that's that's not him. That's oh no, he looks like him. No, no, it is him. No, no, it's not. And and they're going back and forth. And this guy's standing there saying, "Look, believe me, it's me. I'm I yeah, I was blind. Maybe he you know showed them with his eyes closed or something. But he's convincing them. He's having to convince them that he is the same guy. And these are guys whose voices he had only heard." Until now, and he's like seeing the face that goes with the voice and maybe going, oh boy, I didn't realize you look like that. But, you know, but I mean, he, this whole scene, again, you just got to flesh this out, guys, because this is a great scene. And so uh, he keeps on telling them, no, I, I'm the guy, that's me, I'm here. In verse 10, this is, therefore, they said to him, well, how are your eyes open? This is the first time that he's asked this. He's, in the next little bit, he's asked this four times. Like I said, pretty exasperated by the, by the last time. He doesn't even answer the last time. So you see, how were your eyes open? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And so I went and I washed and I received sight. Note it doesn't say, I regained my sight. He says, I received sight. He didn't have sight again very important we grasp that this guy this is all new Um, and and he had had, he'd felt things he'd never seen Uh, he'd heard things but he'd never seen because again the senses had been sharpened and so these are all things that are familiar to him but not familiar to him and now these guys start kind of pummeling him with these questions and they said to him well where is he (laughs) And he said I don't know I mean I was blind. I have no idea. He had only heard Jesus when he told him that, felt the mud going onto his eyes, and then made his way down to the pool. And he has no idea who this was. He just knows the guy's name is Jesus, and he told him to do this. He did it, and now he can see. Uh, And so they're trying to get, to kind of flesh out what was going on here. Uh, And again, he'd never seen him. Jesus could have been standing right there, and he wouldn't have known. Um, so then <laughs> they brought, at verse 13, him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Uh, and this is the first time that they interrogate him. They're going to do it twice. Uh, interesting. <laughs> when, when I read and they brought him to the Pharisees, in my mind I think, I know how this is going to go. And it's not going to go well. These guys, if, if they could... If they could screw it up, they would. And they did. If they could get it wrong, they would. And they did. Because they were so hung on their thing that they had little interest in what truly was going on here. Uh, And so they bring this guy to the Pharisees. And in verse 14, it says, uh, and John puts this, he says, Now it was a Sabbath, it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Uh, we talked about it last week. Again, don't need to spend a lot of time there, but uh, it was John makes sure to tie the fact that Jesus made clay and healed this guy. I mean, made clay with spit, no less. I mean, we talked about it. It was you could spit on a rock, but not on the ground. Uh, it was weird, Uh and their whole Sabbath deal, the, all the laws around the Sabbath, I think they had like 49 of them, uh, interpretations that of the, the Sabbath that they were adhering to. And uh, so it, they knew that it, they couldn't, you couldn't heal somebody, you sure couldn't spit, and you couldn't make clay, you couldn't, the, it was all considered work on the Sabbath. And so John ties it all into one sentence in one verse here. Uh, that that was what had happened. And, and so it, the reason that it's the Sabbath is Jesus did it on the Sabbath because, again, he is going to stir up a lot of controversy through this. He knows that the religious leaders are way hung on the Sabbath. He also knows that he's the Lord of the Sabbath, that he invented it. It's his to do with as he pleases, that he's not bound by the Sabbath, even if He was bound to the Mosaic law, which he was. He wasn't bound to the Sabbath. He was the one who owned the Sabbath. And he says uh, in the other gospels that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So verse 15, then the Pharisees also asked him again how he'd received his sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Notice the story's getting a little shorter here. He doesn't go into quite the detail that he did the first time around because these guys are asking him the same question that his neighbors asked him. Uh, And uh, interesting, I think that it's worth noting here that obedience equals sight. True principle for us as well. Remember in in chapter 7, we looked at this. In verse 17, Jesus says, If anyone wills to do the will of the Father, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God. Uh, Obedience equals sight, equals understanding. Uh, If you want to understand God's word, live in obedience to him. And that doesn't mean that you don't blow it, that you don't have... Stuff. what it means is that your heart is given over to him and to his purposes in your life. And and he will open your heart. He will open your mind. You will not be blind. Whenever we see blindness in the New Testament, it is voluntary and it is willful. And, And don't get me wrong. When people are blind to the truth, they are literally blind. They cannot see it. But it's only because they're rejecting him and they're rejecting his word, they're rejecting... His purposes in their life, they don't want to go there. And that's what brings about the blindness that people have. It tells us the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving that they wouldn't see. That requires cooperation. That requires my will being in line with the God of this world. So again, it's one side or the other side. And if we look at this story, I mean, there is no way that anybody could sit on the fence that going through this, those people would either line on the side of the religious leaders, or they line on the side of the guy that's worshiping Christ by the end of the story here. So verse 16, therefore some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. <sighs> I'm going to take a, a bit of a side trip here. They can't recognize the work of God because it touches that which they hold most sacred, their own traditions. And, and these guys, are, they're seriously tweaked about Jesus doing this on the Sabbath. I mean, they're totally overlooking the fact of, what, of, of the power of this miracle. The power of this changed life, I mean, radically changed right in front of them because they're hung in their stuff. And, and folks, we can fall into that and, and churches do at times. Uh, I'm going to read six verses out of the book of Romans. In Romans 14, we are going to read one through six and then talk about it for a minute And Paul says, receive the one who is weak in faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. That's in the King James. It's it's in the New American Standard and some of the others, it's, it's rendered opinions. And that's what it means. Doubtful things means opinions. Okay. He says, for one who believes, for one believes that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person, and here's where it relates to the Sabbath, uh, one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day, to the Lord, he does not observe it. The principle here is this. I remember um, the first church where I was a pastor I uh, had gotten called uh, I I worked on these big billboard signs on the freeways and there was a problem on one and I had to go on a Sunday and go fix this thing it was like and usually I took Sundays off because you know for obvious reasons but I didn't have a conviction about not working on Sunday I mean I needed to get it done and I remember walking out of my church because I got this call was at church and this woman came up to me she said oh gonna work on the Sabbath huh and and this passage came to mind and I just looked at her and I smiled because folks we can get hung up on stuff we can get hung up on the traditions of men it's okay to work on the Sabbath because Sunday is not the Sabbath actually if you look in Hebrews chapter 4 Today, if you hear his voice, don't fail to enter his rest. We're not called to a Sabbath day. We're called to a Sabbath life. And yes, having a day to rest and to recharge and to heal is what it's about. I mean, Jesus is giving this guy healing on the Sabbath. He's actually fulfilling the Sabbath in this guy's life. He's he's bringing this guy healing. And yet, again, we can get under this whole deal to where, you know, we start, Outlining rules and regulations to faith, and, and it's totally contrary to walking by faith. Uh, there's a term. Uh, it came out of the Reformation. It's called adiaphora, and it, what it means is matters of indifference in Christianity. Adiaphora are matters not regarded as essential to faith, uh, but are, are topics of, of conversation, discussion in, in the Christian church. Examples: worship style. Uh, I have, over my years in ministry, dealt with people that did not like contemporary music. And said, you know, I I will only go to a church that plays the old hymns. And then I've had people that say, I will not go to a church that plays the old hymns. (laughs) I've dealt with people that, I mean, and and it's like, you know what? It's okay to not like contemporary music. It's okay to like contemporary. It's not an issue. It shouldn't be an issue among us as brothers and sisters is the point. You see, these are principles that we can fall on different sides of. You can't make a doctrine out of it, nor will I ever make a doctrine out of these things, because there's an overarching principle that applies. And an overarching principle is a principle that governs other principles, all right? The overarching principle here is we can have our opinions, but we're not to judge or to have opinions about our brother's opinions. And they're not to have opinions about our opinions. Does that make sense? And that's not my opinion. That's what he's saying. <laughs> so, but it, the the point is, is that it's we we we're just to simply walk in grace. I can have grace for you, even though you have different opinions about things. I was looking at this, and one of the areas, and this actually was in the in the uh, came like in the 1500s. They were dividing over how the minister dressed, and I thought, oh great, I'm going to be in a t-shirt on Sunday. Um, but that was an area where people divided. And here's one that I see, and I've seen it in the church. I've seen it, I've seen it frequently in the church these days. Tattoos. Oh, I'm not going to have the markings of the devil. Oh, I think tattoos are cool. You know what? You can fall on either side of that. We're not making a place for either one in our faith and practice. There's room for us to have opinions. There's room for us to be different. There's room. And when it comes to a place to where I divide with my brother or my sister over audio, or over neutral things, over things that matters of indifference, and it doesn't make a whit of difference to God. And, and I, I, I sat in a church one time where a guy, he was against martial arts. And I understand that there are some aspects of Eastern religion and martial arts, and I'm not peddling that. I'm not saying that's okay. I'm saying that when I went to Bible college, one of my fellow students couldn't wait to get back to Syracuse, New York, so he could start a Christian dojo and give these guys an alternative to go and practice martial arts. And I thought... You know, how foolish is it for us to try to uh, sort of, you don't need to build a fence around the chicken yard. You know, if you have chickens or you've ever had chickens, they like it where they roost. They come home every night. You can just let them run. That's why they call them free range chickens. I mean, they like it. Yeah, and, and to build a fence is, is really, it's, it's an unnecessary step. And we don't need to do that in adding to faith and practice. That's the point. And these guys were really good at it. The Pharisees, I mean, with their books and their volumes of obedience on, based on God's law that had gotten so out of hand that they no longer were walking according to the law of Moses. They were walking according to their own stuff. Dangerous. We can fall into that ourselves. I love what the New Testament teaches there in the book of Romans. Back to John, Um, verse 17, they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. And the guy said, he's a prophet. Now, he starts out with saying, this man Jesus, remember, when his neighbors are questioning him, now, you see, his faith is growing. Well, you know, I think this guy's a prophet. And, And he ends up, Later on in this chapter, calling him Lord. So he goes from man to prophet to Lord. And meanwhile, the religious leaders, are they're, they're stepping down in their estimation of the whole thing. Um, so now they go, and, and the scene shifts again. Uh, in verse 18, the Jews didn't believe concerning him. They'd been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. So the Jews don't believe in him until they call his parents, and his parents... Substantiate. We'll see that here, but it's interesting because their rationale shifts from disbelieving that he was born blind because they're trying to prove that he wasn't. And then and now they're, they're a tad, there's a subtle shift in the way they're going about this. I mean, the end is the same. They start trying to recruit this guy and things go south in a hurry on that. So it says, but the Jews didn't believe in verse 18 concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight And asked them, saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How does he now see? I have to believe that there's a parenthesis in here. They call the parents of the guy that was born blind. I cannot, for the life of me, imagine it. His parents walk in, he looks at them, they look at him, they, they see he's looking directly into their eyes. And that there's not a room, a truckload of emotion that goes with this. He had never seen his mom and his dad. Never seen him. And I don't think that the proceedings with the parents and the Pharisees started right away. I think there was probably some sobbing, perhaps. At least some hugging, some embracing, and some, let me look into your eyes, my boy, you know, kind of a thing. I mean, this would be, again, it would be an intense scene, and it's lost in the text here. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but I mean, you have to kind of flesh this out in reality. This is a profound event in this guy's life. His mom, his dad, I mean... Yeah, they kind of back off from the Pharisees for fear, but I don't want to cast them in a bad light. I mean, they had a son who had a significant disability, and they had stood with him over the years, as parents with children with disabilities do. And and they had a very special place in their hearts for him and, and taking care of him as much as they could. I mean, the guy's a beggar. He's out having to try to support himself by asking for money from other people because he has no way to work. And so they walk into this deal with the Pharisees on one side and their son on the other. And I have to believe that there was some interaction between them and their son before they ever got to being cross-examined by the creeps that were there. I mean, it had to be. I, I just don't see that it couldn't happen that way. Verse 19, and they asked to them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind, and how does he now see? And the parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees we don't know. Or opened his eyes we don't know. He's of age. Ask him. He'll speak for himself. <laughs> I had to laugh when I was looking at this because I thought, you know, essentially they're saying he he can talk. He was that blindness was the deal that was bugging him. I mean, you know, he but he still can. He has the ability to speak. Ask him, and. and it says here that his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed that Jesus was the Christ, that he'd be put out of the synagogue. Uh, I want to stop and, and look at that for a minute. If someone was put out of the synagogue, that meant that he was excommunicated from Israel. That meant that he was cut off from the temple cut off from the synagogue, which would be the local deal. That means, it meant that your parents would sit, they called it sitting Shiva for you. If you don't know what that means, Shiva means seven. And when someone died, they mourned for seven days. And they sat, they had these little special stools and all, and they would sit Shiva and they would mourn the loss of that loved one. It would be a close family, you know, relative, you know, first relative, a close relative, and they would sit and mourn for a week. And if you were thrown out of the synagogue, if you were excommunicated from Israel, your parents would mourn your death, even though you're still alive. And you would be you would lose your family. You lost your job. You couldn't go to the feasts. You couldn't observe the national feasts. You lost all your rights. Uh, You were completely excommunicated from all that you knew. And and in Judaism, it wasn't just going to synagogue on Saturday. It was your whole life. And uh, this is very, very significant for this guy. Uh, So they're worried about it for themselves. And therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. And um, that brings us to the second interrogation of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of this guy. Uh, they want to again it says in verse 24 so again they called the man who was blind and said to him give God the glory we know that this man is a sinner this is not an exhortation for them to praise God for him to praise God Uh, in context here it's a charge to swear an oath uh, to confess his sin and to renounce Jesus Uh, they want him to confess that he's lied concerning Jesus. When they say, give glory to God, this man's a sinner, they're telling him, we want you to agree with us that this is the case. And that's blatant blasphemy. Uh, The literal definition of blasphemy is defiant irreverence. And that's what this is. Uh, They're committing blasphemy against Jesus. If you think about what Jesus had to say about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, he said, you know, that won't be forgiven. Uh, And when they're blaspheming him to this guy, it's very, very significant. It means that they have hit the bottom of their defiance towards God. Verse 25, he answered and he said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Sight, color, parents, theology, anger, voices, seeing everything for the first time. This guy, by this point, is spinning. All he wants to do is experience this. I mean, he could look down and see that he had wrinkles on his knuckles. He'd never seen that. He'd never seen He never looked at his fingerprints. I could imagine. I mean, he is so caught up in what has just taken place in his life, and these people keep pummeling him for information. He's going, "Look." And it, it sounds you know, like he's being a real smart Alec here. He's not. He's just had it with these guys. And his faith is growing, and he is seeing, firsthand, he is seeing their hardness of heart. He says, you know what? I don't know. I don't care. All I know, I was blind a little while ago, and now I can see. And you know, it's about as simple as it gets. It's all you need to know. It's all I need to know. I remember the day, very clearly. I remember the moment, sitting in a school gym of all places. They had church in a school gym, smelled like a locker room in there. And this preacher in Shady Cove, Oregon, asking if anybody wanted to receive Jesus, and you're not going to manipulate me, Uh -uh, no way, and he just let this hush fall over the room. And through a prophetic word that the Lord gave this pastor after 45 seconds or so, he said, I don't know who you are. And at that moment, I knew who it was. But I'm gonna encourage you, my friend, let go. Give your life to Jesus. I broke. All I needed to know at that moment was I, up until that point in my life, had been blind. I walked out of there seeing. It's all I needed to know. And I, you know what? You could have hit me with a truck. out. It didn't matter. I was so excited for Jesus. Still am. But that's truly all that we, you know, it's so simple with him. It doesn't have to be 50 questions. We'll see that as we go. And he answered them. He said, I told you already and you didn't listen. Why? Do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> it's the fourth time they'd asked him this question. Uh, how did you receive your sight? And, and it says that they reviled him and they said, you're a disciple, you're his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. Yeah, we are we got one up on you. And we know that God spoke to Moses and as for this fellow, we don't even know where he is from. <laughs> I love the man's response. <laughs> it's like he's saying, are we done here? He says, this, the man answered and he said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing, that you don't know where he is from, yet he opened my eyes. Uh, I just, I love it. it. Verse 31, now we know that God doesn't hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. I want to qualify that statement. We know that God does hear sinners, but not in the context that this guy is talking about. He's, he's indicating God doesn't, we know that God doesn't co-labor with sinners. He doesn't partner with sinners. And that's what he's saying. We know that the father is partnered with the son in, this, in that sense. And so he's indicating his faith in Jesus at this point, even though he has not met him yet. Other than when he did the miracle, Um, he he says in verse 32 since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone ever opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. I think it's interesting. Remember, this guy is a commoner, he's a beggar. He has been really sort of one of the guys in society who had slipped through all the cracks he had no status in their system Yet he knows more truly knows more about god by what he has just said than any of the religious leaders standing there examining him i like in the book of acts the, the the leaders are puzzled they they bring the apostles and and they're talking among themselves and they say you know I don't get this. These are uneducated men. How do they know this stuff, essentially? I'm paraphrasing, but you know they're puzzled. But the Spirit of God is faithful. He will give you what you need to know. Uh, a guy I discipled many, many years ago, uh, one time came up to me and said, you know, John, I discovered something. I said, what's that? He said, the Bible school is in your feet. And I said, that's right, Lynn. His name was Lynn. He pastors a church now in California, but um, I said, that's right, you know, education is good. Get all you can, but don't rely on it. Rely on the Lord. This guy's relying on the Lord. He's relying on what had just happened. And he knows more about God than the composite of all these religious leaders standing around him who were so hung on their traditions that they were unable to receive truth about God. They answered to him and said, you are completely born in sins and you're teaching us and they cast him out. They excommunicated him. There are still some religious groups out there today that if you don't toe their line, they cast you out. You can get disfellowshipped or excommunicated and basically treated as though you didn't exist. I have a friend who was a Jehovah's Witness that left and um, said they got way too many tentacles into my life And he was excommunicated. He was disfellowshipped and people that he had spent years with, broken bread with repeatedly, closer than his own family. It was as though he was dead. There's two inferences that are being made here with these guys' statement, you were completely born in sins and you're teaching us. Uh, One is that he was born in sin and that's why he was blind. They make a direct inference to that. The same thing that the disciples asked Jesus at the beginning, that Jesus said, no, no, no. It's not about cause and effect. It's about God's purposes. And the second thing is that they were actually above him, that they, you know, you're teaching us the arrogance. By the way, um, and this is free, do you have a teachable spirit? You know, I, again, I, I've, I've just in working with people over the years. Uh, there are times where people are not teachable, and and there's a, a crust or a hardness that comes onto people's hearts. And I believe that the Lord wants us to be teachable. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. It says that here further in this gospel and to be open, to be receptive to the moving of the Holy Spirit in my heart, for him to continue to reveal himself in new ways to me. Yes, through the written word, but by his Spirit, through him speaking to my heart, through him continuing that conforming work, I can get in the way of that. I can get hardened up. I can decide that I don't want to go any further. Or I can have a teachable spirit and say, Lord, continue to conform me to the image of your son. I want that. I pray for that. I pray that God shows me when I get off in those areas because we all can. He was permanently put out of the religious system of Israel. I wonder where he went. And if I were him, probably the first place I would have gone was to the temple. Remember, he'd never seen it. Well, I might as well take a look at it before I can't come back. Excuse me. Last section here, spiritual healing. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, I think it's interesting. You know, they cast him out and Jesus finds him. What a great contrast. The religious system throws you out and Jesus finds you. That's kind of what happened to me, again, growing up in a a a, a cult, (laughs) growing up in the LDS church and uh, leaving, and within a year uh, Jesus got a hold of me and I never looked back. It's a much better deal, by the way. (laughs) He said to them, do you believe, or to him, do you believe in the Son of God? All of these questions that have come this guy's way, and of course, Jesus was the one that had done the miracle. He didn't have to ask him how did it happen and who did it and all that. It's a no-brainer. But he does have questions for this guy. He only has one. And it's the most important question in the whole chapter. He says, do you believe in the Son of God? Because Jesus knows that the relationship that he offers is appropriated by faith. That's why over and over and over again in the Gospel of John, it's do you believe? Not do you know, not did you obey, not let's let's talk about doctrines like Sabbath, opinions, but do you believe? Very simple. And he answered to him and he said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? I have to wonder at this point, does he recognize Jesus' voice? He hadn't seen him. But he'd heard him when he told him to go and wash. Only a short time before. And Jesus said to him, You've both seen him and it is he who is talking with you. And then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. His faith is fully developed, his eyes are open. Yeah, his eyes had been open physically, but now the the eyes, the window to his soul had been opened and he beholds Jesus as Lord. And the only response, the only response is worship. And Jesus said, for judgment I've come into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. The upside down kingdom. You want to walk around claiming to see? You could be made blind. You want to walk around admitting you're blind? You can be made to see. We, When he says, for judgment I've come into this world, it, we look at uh, the result of judgment. I mean, his judgment is true in that, but this is the action of judgment. He's saying, I will, it's the same thing as when he says, you know, don't try to separate the sheep from the goats on the threshing floor of eternity. I'll do that. You don't know, you can't see men's hearts. So he's saying for judgment, I came into the world that those who see could be made blind and those who are blind could be made to see. And it's a spiritual dynamic. It's a spiritual principle he's talking about here. And it comes into play immediately as soon as he says it. This is that some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? Again, the arrogance. And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, and therefore your sin remains. The point is this, Lord, I know I'm blind, open my eyes, Lord, I know the secret things of my life, I I know you do too, I'm in a rut, I'm frightened, perhaps you're enslaved, Lord, Enslaved to some thing, some sin, some life-dominating deal. and I'm not saying for me, I'm saying generically, but th- these are the confessions of a blind man or woman. Lord, I'm frightened. I don't know anywhere to turn, but to you. That's the confession of blindness. Because you say, I see, you don't need healing. And your blindness remains. What about you? Where are you at with the Lord? Is your vision clear? Is there anything obstructing? Eh, Not condemning but just encouragement. I mean we are to examine ourselves to see that we're in the will of God And there is a place where uh, the Lord takes me regularly to to just say, you know, Lord, show me. Uh, Like the psalmist, see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in your way. It's not about the cause. We can get hung up in that, guys. Well, it was her fault. Well, it was his fault. Well, they did this. Well, they offended me and that happened over there and all this stuff. And we can get so caught up in the cause that we totally forget that God is working his purposes through it. That we don't say, Lord, what is your purpose in this? How do you want to be glorified by this? See, there's a great lesson in this for us to not get caught up in in the the nuts and bolts of whatever challenge we're facing, but to allow our thinking to be elevated, to say, Lord, what do you want to do in this? How do you want to work through this? What is my place about this that you want to work in? And to open ourselves and avail ourselves to the working of his spirit in us as we go out and we are serving him and working in a dark world. I think about Chuck and Joanne headed for Africa in just a few days and Knowing that God has His hand on them that He wants to use them and, and 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 I know there's a place of saying, Lord, just you know work in my heart and let me be effective for you in this ministry uh, the harvest is is just totally ripe there I mean I've just heard report after report of the miraculous things that God is doing in that area uh, they're in these little remote villages and they're going to be in that one called Kamagoot <laughs> Um, next week and the week after uh, amazing things the account ends in worship and in blasphemy no fence in God's kingdom he says if you're not for me you're against me and we see that actually played out here in, in, on the stage of this man's life This guy who had come to sight, who had never had it before, had never seen light until there at the pool, his vision began to clear and he was able to look down and see the water as his hands were moving through it, to look out and to see the people that were milling around and then to go back up and to hear the voices that he had heard so many times before and to actually put faces to them. And then for his parents to walk in I can't imagine the overwhelming emotion that accompanied that moment. And then for the religious leaders to get so entrenched in this day that should have been a day of just absolute celebration of this man receiving his sight, to totally throw him out, to excommunicate him from Judaism, because that's what religion does. It's not about that. It's about a relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this brief look in the Gospel of John at this man's life and at the account of uh, the interaction that he had with so many and and the beautiful interaction he has with the Lord Jesus himself, simply asking, do you believe? And so, Father, we do believe and we ask, Father, that you would work in our hearts, that you would give us spiritual insight, that you would uh, give us, Lord, the things that we need equip us for the tasks that you've called us to in this dark world. Lord, we're we're seeing people in a sea of blindness. Let us use that for your glory, Father. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this day. We ask that you would bless us and that you would go before us the rest of this day, that you would have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen.